But let's finish now, if you would. And again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this is just fascinating. Uh, go for the nine laws of God. And this is from your book, Out of Control, The New Biology of Machines, Social Systems, and the Economic World. And even though the book is, is dated, there's still a lot of uh, enormously positive and interesting and tremendous stuff in it, so it's still highly recommended. And this is also sort of tangentially one of the places that you and I crossed the Wachowskis and the Matrix. Right. And that, you know, the, the, this Out of Control was one of three books given to all mm -hmm. actors uh, and asked to read before they started filming. And then when it came to interpreting, doing the voiceover, Larry asked uh, me and Cornell to do that. Oh, I didn't know that. So you did the voiceover on on the on where? On the um, trilogy DVD set. Oh, okay, okay, I got it. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah. if you hit the director's commentary, okay. it's me and and Cornell doing. Oh, yes. Okay, now I, I recall that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So these are non laws of God, and that's just sort of mm -hmm. that's taken metaphorically, and of course you mm -hmm. point out that there can be others, but this is. And let me sort of preface this by saying one of the ways I look at this, which is that in a lot of the non-dual traditions, we've talked about the problems of trying to qualify spirit in any way, including deny it. And so a lot of mystical traditions have the equivalent of the Madhyamaka Buddhist notion of emptiness or unqualifiable. And it's a very rigorous demonstration that anything you can think about the ultimate will be ultimately contradictory and that therefore there is another way of knowing the ultimate rather than through the intellect mm -hmm. and that way of knowing is mystical knowing or non-dual knowing or knowing where subject mm -hmm. and object are one and that one of the ways you get access to that is by clearing out any typical conceptual dualistic notions that you have and so that it's a very rigorous way of in a sense defending unqualifiable consciousness by saying it's unqualifiable, including that. That would be denied as well. So it's, it's an infinitely denying qualifications of spirit so that a true, direct, non-dual awareness can open. But then that's, it's then maintained that there are actually two aspects to spirit. And in Vedanta, Hinduism, for example, there's a, the unmanifest, purely empty, purely unqualifiable, purely formless, aspect of spirit known as nirguna brahman brahman without qualities and then there's spirit as it manifests there's a manifest world of saguna brahman and that's the world of good and evil that's the world where it's better to be good rather than evil it's better to wake up rather than be asleep and it's the world where ethics holds and where practice is necessary and so on whereas the world of nirguna unqualifiable emptiness is always already achieved, fully present, already awakened, unqualifiable, not dualistic in any way. And so seeing the nature of the manifest world as sort of half of spirit is sort of one way to think about spirituality that gets us over some of the contradictions in thinking about spirituality. So the nine laws of God, in that sense, is one of the ways to look at nine laws of Saguna Brahman, of Brahman as manifest. When spirit manifests, it does so in the following ways. It distributes being. So just comment very, very briefly on these in terms of what that 
means, why that's important. Distributed being is the hive mind. Yeah, distributed being would be translated these days into things like social networking. Right. Um, the idea that you don't have centralized control, that, right. that uh, things are aggregates of lots of little parts and right. um, rather than one monolithic enterprise. Right. And each of the smaller units work, and you get a bigger working unit by aggregating Right. smaller units that have been demonstrated to work, and that would hold an evolution as well and so on. So distribute being control from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there is um, uh, the best examples we have are things called like democracy. Right. And so you have sort of this, the, the, the same idea of rather than trying to have a command control down, top-down control, right. you, you enforce form the bottom and you you and you connect it in intelligent ways and it's able to drive from the bottom right and then you've always pointed out that you're actually working for a a mixture here of the right amount of bottom up and top down and you even wrote a blog on the bottom's not enough right right so the idea is not that you necessarily outlaw top-down control but that you right. start at the bottom right and that does actually fit in. Finding the right mixture of bottom-up and top-down is actually a good exercise in third-person process theology thinking. Uh, how much of God as top-down needs to be present in evolution to get the multifarious bottom-up stuff right, right. going. And so, where usually, and what, where most of the top-down comes from is actually setting the initial conditions. So, so, so the the design aspect is is designing the the game, and then the game is unleashed. Right. And so, you you the great game of making the universe is is coming up with the the initial few sets of rules that will govern the rules of physics. And um, so, so it's it's a minimalist thing because, in some ways, the more powerful. Uh, worlds are made from from the, the fewer sets of rules, right? And then set that design limits, and then let distributed networks do the rest. Exactly, right? Cultivate increasing returns. Here, this is a uh, we think of this as sort of compounded interest. This is a ways in which virtuous circles, good things engender more good things, which in turn are biased to generate more good things. So. Right. Um, We've noticed many, many examples of this, including the fact that life on Earth tended to create conditions that were conducive for more life. Right. So the more life there was that would begin to alter the atmosphere, which was making it better for more life, and the more life there was, the more niches there were for life. And so you have this uh, kind of feedback loop um, where, where things are just, feeding upon themselves, and that's called increasing returns, and we see that in technological systems, in the economy, and life, and most likely in the mind as well. Right. Um, Grow by chunking. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier, but basically what it says is that you make very, very, very complicated things by making them federations of smaller things that work. So you... And this is how our minds grow. Inside every one of our minds is a little tiny reptilian yeah. brain that still kicks in. Right. Um, but it hasn't gone away. Yeah. It actually has layers and layers of 
further evolved on top of it, but right. the basic thing is still working. And we're finding the same thing happening with software. I mean, believe it or not, you know, at the core of your computer are some are basically the, the same code. Yeah. Particularly in Windows, the same code has been around forever. It, yeah. It, it has has more and more layers on top of it, and that's really the only way to make very complicated things work. Yeah. Yeah, it's transcend and include, and is um, I mean even Hegel said that to supersede or to transform is at once to negate and to preserve. So you negate having just one or two aggregates. You preserve their functions, mm-hmm. and bringing those two together gets you growth. Right. Maximize the fringes. Yeah, there is generally innovation change in these extropic systems primarily occurs at the edges of things in the margins we see examples of this in evolution where mutations and change happen in isolated geographically and and um breeding isolated uh you know corners and then it's after they have uh, kind of occurred and been established then they move into the population at large Right. Uh, of course, innovation constantly. People talking about skunk works and other ways in which uh, little remote groups are or small companies are the fountains of, of innovation and change. And I think we see we'll see it in the brain right. in the same ways where the um, thinking what we now call thinking outside the box. Uh, right. In all these ways, the um, uh, the outer rims are the places where the change starts and then is brought into the center. Right. And not to mention the fact that a, a really innovative change at the center can be lethal. Exactly. You don't want people, you don't want your accounting department right. to be very creative. <laughs> Honor your errors. Yeah. What this says is, is that most, kind of a restating of, of evolutionary theory is most changes are not beneficial. They are, in fact, errors, but occasionally an error is beneficial. And so it also says that the way in which you want to proceed is by having lots of little mistakes and lots of little failures right. And instead of having catastrophic failures. So right. if, you, if you try to uh, constrain or prohibit errors, making everything perfect, what happens is you'll have one big error, and it's called death. And yeah. So the, the idea is is that uh, advancement is built on errors, yeah. and that the best way is, is is to manage errors. And so one way of thinking of evolution is a sort of an error management system, right. and um, that that this is an inevitable part of of growth. Are, are are the unwanted, and but it's through the unwanted and learning how to deal with the unwanted that you get what you want. Yeah, you quote William Blake: "To be an heir and to be cast out is part of God's design." Yeah. Pursue no optima. Have multiple goals. Yeah, it's a little bit harder to explain, but in there there is a sense in which you can, if you think of of perfection as a, a place at the top of a hill. And you can define that in any way you want, in any parameter, that what you are kind of doing is moving up this hill, hill climbing, they call it. Yeah. And um, But the hill is not just one big 
cone, like a, like a pyramid. It's actually what they call rugged, and there are false summits. There are little peaks off to the side that are below, beneath the higher summit. Right. And that if you are always only hill climbing, you can hill climb up to a false summit. And then what do you do? Because you're not any good at climbing down, right. you're now stuck on the less-than-perfect place. Right. And also, keep in mind that these landscapes are not static in the real world. They're actually right. moving. So what is maybe at one time a global optima may the next instant be a local optima. And if right. you're no good at climbing down. So what it says is that is the strategy of always climbing up, which in most people's terms means becoming more perfect or, or becoming more efficient or becoming more excellent or whatever metric you have, right. you can get stuck. Yeah. And that the way, the only way that we know of getting unstuck is to actually head towards chaos, to do things in reverse, to yeah. become less efficient, wasteful, uh, you know, chaotic. Un- uh, chaotic, unoptimal, all these sort of negative things turns out to be a necessary skill right. in reaching your optima. Yeah. Seek persistent disequilibrium. And there is a, a kind of um, a larger lesson that um, equilibria, not which some people think is sort of harmony, right. is, is not what we want. And if you're in equilibrium, there's a couple of things in equilibrium. There, you know, like a, a icicle is in equilibrium, and uh, so is a corpse. And um, <laughs> w- w- what you want is something that is not complete disequilibrium in the sense that um, it's all chaotic, it's nothing holds together, yeah. that there is a, a boundary, an, a, a boundary that's, that's not static either. It's a moving boundary where you are at the edge of chaos and you're at the edge of order and you're at the edge of equilibrium and it's always moving, so you're moving with that edge. Like a surfer on a wave. It's very dynamic. You're constantly, the system itself is constantly in the danger of flipping into order to death or dissipating into chaos. Right. And that what's remarkable about these extropic systems, and that includes life, that includes galaxy structures, and that includes organisms, and that includes our minds, is, is that... The ones that are that are alive are, are, are always on this edge of, of falling and tripping into one of these other two endpoints, and right. that um, you, you have this ongoing surfing, ongoing uh, I don't know, kind of a, a roll along the edge, and that right. that is where these things happen. In fact, that edge is what defines these extropic systems. Yeah, is, is that they they basically don't go if they're completely ordered and in equilibrium, and they don't go, of course, if they're completely chaotic. Right. And that surfing that edge of, of chaos is actually what these systems do. Perfect. Change changes itself. Yeah. It, so so the what does evolution want? Evolution wants to evolve. Evolution and uh, evolution is is a is a type of structured change. It's 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 a it's a method of order. 
it's a it's a change regime and itself it's changing over time so how things change or is changing right. so there's a, there's a meta level to it and so constantly this is the larger meta level change in the world which is that the nature of change is changing so evolution biological evolution itself has evolved over time it's the evolution that's happening now on Earth is not the same evolution that was happening four billion years ago, right. and it will not be the same in another 50 years. And technology, the technium, is evolving the way that it's evolving. It's changing the nature of its own change. And so that is an inherent principle of, of things, and, and they, it flows through at, at a slower rate. But all these other systems from galaxies and and uh, right. organisms are all following the same change in the change. Right. Well, beautiful. Well, those are nine laws of Saguna Brahman, <laughs> nine laws of what the manifest universe is doing, and um, what, well, business would want to do if it wanted to uh, succeed. And, uh, and I would say also individuals. Individuals. There you go. It's and actually not a bad recipe for a good life. Indeed. Um, and you did cover the business aspects in new rules for the new economy. Listen, my friend, this has been terrific, and you've been very generous, and I've loved it. I think it's just fantastic. And I look forward to you know seeing you and having more discussions. I really appreciate your interest in my work. I appreciate your work as well, and I, I thanks for having great questions. You got it, buddy. Take care, Kevin. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye.